Hey folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome to the Eat Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan. All right, in this episode, you're going to follow along on our elk hunting adventure for 2022. And um, I was going to break this into a few parts, but I I think I'm just going to let it roll. It'll be a long one, uh, maybe a good one for a long drive. There's some great... uh, conversation and reflection throughout this podcast. I, I'm joined on this adventure by uh, um, uh, Spencer Greening, Le Good. He's um, my good friend now, and, and he's been on a couple of adventures with us. He was on our sheep hunt adventure last year, and um, just a thoughtful, interesting guy, great guy to have along on a trip like this. And uh, one thing he brings to the podcast is an Indigenous perspective on, on hunting and um and again, he's hunting outside of his traditional territory on an adventure hunt, which is uh, certainly not what he grew up doing. And I, I certainly appreciate what he brings in terms of insight and conversations around that. Um, also, I'm joined by another sort of new friend, um, Adam Foss, who who I've bumped into a few times in sort of this hunting world. And um, Adam brings just such a cool background. He's uh, basically gets the opportunity to take photos and, and travel around and and hunt um, for the better part of the year, um, doing his his work uh, with his wife Frankie in Foss Media, and, and they've done some um, really cool work uh, in the conservation world, which is where we bumped into each other on a project. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, anyways, and just as it turned out, we threw out an invitation to join us on this packrafting trip, and he and he jumped on it. So he's along for the ride, and he's putting up with a podcast machine along with uh, Spencer, and uh, we're taking on one of my sort of bucket list trips that I've been trying to scheme to figure out how I can do uh, for, for I don't know, like a long, long time. I've been sort of driving by this river thinking about how we could get on it. And uh, and yeah, in search of elk heaven. And, and my goal of, you know, elk hunting, and, and, and no doubt if you've taken on elk hunting, there's always these sort of, there's sort of a few factors that are relevant to, to elk hunting. One is like, you know, the presence of elk. Uh, the other is probably the huntability of the area, whether you can you know access it or even hunt the 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 habitat or landscape. And then the third the third one, which is kind of the biggest one, you know, anywhere in North America where you're hunting elk, is is hunting pressure. Um, and because hunting pressure really has an impact on your your hunt success and and the enjoyment of the hunt. If there's other people pressuring the same elk, and and really it can just get confusing because you're 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 focused in on listening to animals calling and that's what's drawing you in or or you know informing your hunt plan and of course if that's other hunters calling then it gets very confusing and distracting and and uh and nonetheless um so i'm always looking for this next place where there's elk huntable habitat and and few or no hunters which which puts me on these adventure hunts so that's what we're we've set out to do is is looking for elk heaven here on this trip and um yeah, well, you can follow along and see how we do. And um, now I should sort of, you know, 
mentioned, like if you are following along our podcast and you're getting excited around the idea of, of pack rafting, I, you know, it, it's, it's inherently quite dangerous. I mean, you know, anytime you take a, a very light piece of equipment and rely on it to float down a whitewater river and in, in wilderness, uh, you know, there's, there's both just the, the relying on gear as well as having to develop skill and knowledge around safety on the river. And, you know, it's taken me a lifetime to feel, more and more comfortable doing these types of trips, whether it's been from my years of being, you know, operating as a captain on a saltwater fishing boat or um, jet boating or canoeing or um, I used to be into big rafts. I used to have big 14 foot raft with rowing frames. So I spent a lot of time on rivers, reading rivers, um, getting more informed and experienced around river safety. so I, I just really want to, you know, before you get excited and run out and buy a pack route, I think you really have to take into account the the responsibility that comes with taking on these types of adventures. And, and that responsibility includes, you know, taking it slow, getting trained, uh, building up experience. And, uh, you know, every time you get further and further into wilderness, that risk factor just goes up exponentially. So I just want to encourage you to, if you're, if you're taking an interest in this, like, please do. It's a lot of fun. It's opening up some really cool places and adventures for us. Um, but take a course. And, and on that note, I guess I could plug our own. I mean, with that in mind, there really isn't a ton of resources for the hunter uh, as it relates to packrafting. There's some great uh, whitewater courses and, and, and now some emerging packrafting courses. Um, but we do one in the spring. We've, we've teamed up with Cam Fenton um, to do a packrafting course. Uh, and I think we'll do another one this spring, early summer. And uh, and it'll be sort of geared towards hunters. So I'll, I'll be participating along with Cam. Cam's going to kind of help us with the, you know, how, how to best um, be safe on the water with our packrafts. And I'll be focusing on how to incorporate, you know, your hunting gear and, and thoughts around, you know, everything from meat care to how to camp to how to load your boat with the additional gear that you'd have as, as a hunter. So all that said, um, yeah, definitely take the time, get, uh, get trained up. We will have something for you here in the spring. If you're, um, hanging out with eat wild. Um, also, you know, on this trip, you know, we definitely relied on our two main sponsors for the podcast. Uh, we got very, very wet on the first day of the, of the trip and ended up uh, being able to dry out in the Cimarron tent. It's an ultralight tent with a wood stove. Total weight is around seven pounds. And after bushwhacking for, you know, four hours to pack our rafts to the head of the river, we were able to fire up the stove and dry out pretty much completely within a couple hours, which was, which was amazing and really, you know, made the trip, set, set the trip out on the right, um, well, instead of starting out a trip dry is way better than starting out a trip wet, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, we had a spacious place to hang out and um, yeah, it was awesome. And then of course, uh, West Coast Kitchen Canada um, have been have been a big supporter of the podcast and uh, and of my adventures as of, as of late. And we were able to have nourishing meals along the way. And um, yeah, if you're interested in either of those products, you can get online and use the Eat Wild discount code and take advantage of um making your trip a little bit warmer and feel a little bit more nourished on your next trip. And lastly, if you're looking for a, or if you know anybody that needs the hunting course and wants to learn a little bit more about hunting or get their hunting license, send them to Eat Wild. We've got a um, online uh, hunter certification course for British Columbia folks. Um, it's uh, again, great feedback on the content. People love it. And of course, we've got our, we're building our online uh, like uh, e-courses. Um, uh, they're basically, right now I've got, e-scouting up there and I've got meat care 
uh, on there as well and just an extended discussion and videos and conversation around you know how to do this stuff and uh, over this winter I'll be uh, banging out a bunch more and bringing on some 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 experts in a different area to kind of build a build a bit of a repertoire of e-courses that can help you um, yeah just be a be a better hunter right on okay let's get into this one Welcome back to the Eat Well Podcast. So we're, uh, we're, well, we're at the tail end of our elk trip. And we've recorded a couple sessions of us elking around on our adventure. And, uh, and now we're, but we never got a chance to do a proper introduction and to say, hey, what we're up to. So we're setting out on our 2020 um, pack rafting elk trip. And I'm sitting here with Adam and Spencer and uh, I think probably just to start it out, I'd like just a quick say hello, Spencer, a little introduction of, of uh, who you are, and maybe a longer, more elaborate answer to uh, what you signed up for this year in terms of an adventure hunt with, uh, yeah, with me. Great. My name's Spencer Greening. I, uh, I guess you may have heard me on previous podcasts on, yes with dylan yeah <laughs> i usually provide some sort of indigenous commentary for the eat wild program here um and uh i just enjoy harvesting food and uh, i bring whatever perspective i have to the table and i also do research on that sort of thing so that's who i am And uh, I think I'm here because I've sort of become a part of the program where I purchased a pack raft and I've weaseled my way into Dylan's sort of (laughs) pack raft exploration hunts. And uh, yeah, I find myself on cool trips like this. I like people who say yes to things. And I think that's how you didn't do much weaseling. I think they're just that... We were getting to know each a bit, each other, getting to know each other a bit. Well, last over the last last few years, and and I, I we were just looking for somebody who we wanted to hang out with on our on our last adventure, and and uh, your name came up, and both Jenny and I were like, yeah, let's let's get Spencer on board, and then that's where it started. So you said yes, that's the cool thing. So another person that says yes is uh, my friend Adam Foss. Adam, same question, a little bit about yourself, and then how did you end up on this trip? A little bit about myself. I I feel super fortunate to be a guy that gets to spend a lot of time and, and spend my work taking pictures and telling stories at, in really cool places with even cooler people. I feel like every morning I wake up feeling lucky I get to do what I do and um, on the side and uh, not necessarily exclusive from some of the, the photos and the stories is, is do a lot of bow hunting and I'm on, yeah I was gonna say I'm on this trip because there's a huge question mark and on how it will go and what it would be like and I'm just always drawn to the not necessarily the most epic, wildest, most extreme, longest, although some adventures turn out like that. More just the, the unknown, the unknown of the end result, both in how the river would be, how the hunting would be, how we would get along as a group and work together, all those things. Mm-hmm. So I would say just 
wading into the unknown is always exciting. Yeah, right on. Well, I'm glad you said yes when we were looking for a fourth person to fill up this trip. So, man, also been fun having you along. But we'll get to that probably later in this episode. So, um, the uh, so trip concept is again we're like kind of in this cycle of um, well Jenny, who's also oh should we should give the background on Jenny. So Jenny started this trip with us. She was planning this trip along with me and then it built to Spencer and Adam. And then um, we made it all the way up north and actually Jenny put her back out on day two of our hunt and was has been dealing with a chronic um, back issue and just could not carry on with the hunt because she was injured and, and couldn't take on the pack rafting component of this trip. Uh, so. She had to fly home early, so we went on uh, as, a, as a trio for the rest of the trip um, and de definitely <laughs> deeply missed Jenny, her humor, her good spirits, and, and also her contribution to the podcast. So um, anyways, the, the concept, though, for the trip was based, is basically like continuing on with this exploration of pack rafts and, and how we can access areas and that are, you know, I, I think are potentially good places to hunt, but I think it's also just getting to see parts of BC uh, that aren't as affected by say jet boats, ATVs, other motorized vehicles, and just general pressure from other folks in those areas and, and getting to experience those landscapes uh, through the lens of hunting, which is sort of how I like to explore BC is sort of have a, have a hunt experience. So um, anyways, we picked out a, a river, actually this river I've been looking at for gosh, driving by it and thinking about it for probably 15 years and trying to figure out how we could do it. And um, with a bit of puzzling out, we, we kind of figured a way to get on this river for a ways. And it, it does apparently flows through some elk country, which we'll talk about in the podcast and, and go from there. But yeah, been pretty fun plan. And yeah, so Spence, how much uh, pack rafting have you done now? Where, you, where do you rank yourself? Are you experienced, advanced? Um. Superstar, man. Mm -hmm. Hall of Famer. <laughs> Packraft. Hall no. of Famer. This year, I took my Packraft on the lake once. So you were training for so this trip. I was training in my mind. Yeah. There was a study done that they, they took a bunch of professional basketball players. Yeah. Some trained physically, some trained in their mind. Okay. And if they gave their full mindfulness to training in their mind, yeah. the improvement was almost the same with this specific shot of course there's all these other like physical attributes <laughs> that's what i was doing with the pack raft yep and so my experience was last year's sheep hunt and one trip on the lake mm. so you were prepped and ready to go oh A yeah adam how much pack rafting have you done where you are in your pack raft journey yeah i'm somewhere between brand new and and uh i would say Fresh, fresh intermediate. <laughs> Perfect. So totally responsible of me to like take two newbies down the river <laughs> that has been no one's ever packraft before. <laughs> well, I think we figured out that maybe canoes were a worse idea than packrafts just generally. And I've done a good handful of those trips. Oh, we did talk about that. Yeah. And then packrafts, I did some very, probably like highly unsafe packrafting. <laughs> and so I'd say I'm brand new at packrafting like properly. So yeah, I would, I would actually say a beginner packraft might be 
a beginner pack rafter might be better because as in many of these skills and traits when you don't get taught correctly sometimes you have to spend more time breaking <laughs> yeah. all your bad habits yeah well i really enjoyed that uh we spent a couple of days with with cam fenton who is an actual pack raft teacher and uh we did a pack raft guru guru man and the guy's guru. done some cool stuff man uh anyways yeah we spent a couple of days with him and we put on a course to sort of learn about pack raft safety and and also we built in some you know how to pack raft and hunt too in this course it was kind of fun and good decision making too i mean just how to make group decisions or like risk risk assessment of just kind of trip planning and and contingency planning which i thought just yeah. well, the way his mind worked yeah to think about how he was going to solve problems and what to watch out for i mean yeah. pack rafting or just spending time in the mountains is sort of a good little breakdown of just thinking through things that we all do even just walking crossing creeks or climbing cliffs doing stuff that you're kind of knowing there's some risk involved totally yeah we're doing a um we're doing a first aid for hunters uh course with him and we're just doing like a little fundraiser for the bha um in a couple of weeks i don't think this will get out there before then but um but yeah it'd be kind of fun just to yeah share his, his perspective on safety and trip safety with a group with a group just uh be cool okay so let's get into the river here guys so we'll uh we'll catch up with the audience um on the river somewhere along the way um probably apologize for the audio because it'll be done on an iphone probably by fire or next to a noisy river but uh hopefully there's some story there okay we'll catch up with there so we're officially on to our elk expedition 2020 and we've just tackled the first day you're still stuck in 2020 2022 two years have gone by oh dear. it's the first <laughs> fall of covid totally it's a long day <laughs> they're finally trying to get the podcast machine out to have a quick recap of today's events so we're with spencer and adam and we're on um our expedition elk hunt which involves pack rafts and and every time you do one of these hunts, it's like you kind of have this concept that you develop when you're sitting at your desk in the middle of winter thinking about, um, yeah, fun days in the summer. And here we are eight months later or something like that. And, um, yeah, what did you think of the day, Adam? Get in here. Awesome day, awesome country. Good to actually just see it. It's always bigger than you imagine. It's always bigger than it looks on a map. A little rain in the morning. We were kind of deciding whether or not we wanted to go full throttle or kick rocks in the morning, reorganize our stuff, debate over a jar of peanut butter for way too long. Whether we should bring it or not, that's a good idea. We could have peanut butter and crackers right now. Yeah. That'll be, that debate will be finalized. It was the right decision. But we decided to grab our stuff, and a smart guy once told me, no matter how late in the day you start today, you're always ahead of where you'd be tomorrow. So we got about probably half a day done by the time we organized and 
packed our stuff and hiked in. So I'm pumped, pumped to be here with you guys. Yeah, excited for tomorrow. Um, I think it's also something just reflecting on these trips. Like everything takes so much longer. Like you have to plan. Like it took us probably three hours to put together our backpacks and our food and our backpack, you know, our, our pack rafting kits all sort of ready to be able to be transported. And um, we ended up portaging, like, if, well, packing in what I thought was going to be like a hop, skip, and a jump, hour-long, kind of easy-going, you know, effort. But I learned that it's definitely too, like, to pack these rafts in with an elk kit is definitely two full backpacks full of stuff per guy. Each, each person brings a raft, and then by the time you've got your kit, your raft kit, your elk kit, and your backpacking kit, it's two pretty decent loads. Yeah, yeah and a lot of bulk, too. I mean, just the, the rafts aren't exorbitantly heavy, but they're, they're pretty bulky, and the paddles and PFD, helmet, dry suit, like all those things just... It's not normal things you bring on a backcountry hunt, and then you already have your normal food, shelter, weapon, optics. Yeah, it gets up there, and so like, I yeah. So it is much. So as much as I'm looking at this stuff, in dreaming up the like where you could pack into with these rafts, I'm I think I'm reminded every time I do one of these, it's actually it's heavy still even though they're really light boats it's still pretty heavy and uh it just takes a lot longer and and a lot more effort to really get to explore these special places spencer you pumped to be back oh yeah i'm riding this high of uh well i feel like we made a bunch of right decisions which just feels great especially when you're humming and hawing about the wrong decision and at the end of the day, you're just feeling so good about... I mean, we'll find out about the peanut butter soon. Well, if that was the right or the wrong decision. Well, there's two debates with the peanut butter. One is that, do you bring it, the full tub? Two is, do you go with the cheap stuff or the all-natural peanut butter? But uh, do you want to have that debate right now? At the end of the hunt, maybe. Okay, we should. We'll bring we'll we'll bring that back when we catch up for another episode. So, can you describe where we are, Spencer, and like where we're spending our first night? Well, we're in the Northern Rockies. That's and... a little specific, I think. But <laughs> I yeah. Um, so when I walk into this place, the most ex- what's really exciting at first is walking through those like old growth black spruce forests. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I instantly um, was trying to pay attention to was the, the, the flora that I recognize. Mm -hmm. And so one of my favorite parts of the walk in was showing you guys the pitch that we can eat and talking about the, the teas and medicines and whatever. And, and so you walk through this beautiful black spruce forest, muskegee, beautiful lichens 
filled with Labrador tea. And then <laughs> it's, it's a, it's very light cruisy walk too. And then as we come out, we just, it, it, it's this, we walked into this wonderful sandbar that has a huge valley and wonderful towering mountains that look very sheepy. Yeah, we're definitely in sheep country. We're at the junction of two northern rivers, and our sort of plan is to... We're actually in sheep country right now, but we were able to, to huff into this spot uh, off the highway, basically. And then we're going to drift down into what we hope is elk country. And um, But I think we're hunting... Sh- Sheep tomorrow? <laughs> Probably take a look. <laughs> see what happens. So okay, so if we see a sheep on one of these hills, it, do are we sheep hunting? As soon as we break out the spotting scope, we're sheep hunting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so tomorrow morning we're on a sheep hunt. Yeah. But once we once we get down a few miles and we bump into some elk side on the sandbars. We'll probably get refocused on elk hunting. Yeah. But yeah, wet walk in. So day one, packed in, took about five times longer than I expected. Very, very happy. Oh, good decision. Bringing the teepee tent with the wood stove. We brought the simmer on. Yeah, which is uh, drying out our clothes and everything as we speak, getting us ready for the sheep hunt tomorrow. So we can start our sheep hunt out dry. But we had a very successful ferry across a river mm. that might be worth explaining later. Yeah, we'll, another time. Yeah, we'll f- fill the audience in on the ferrying concept, which is actually really cool that worked out. But yeah, but I'm ready to uh, play some cards and uh, get a little, even closer to this fire if I can. All right, we'll check in tomorrow. <laughs> Okay, day two, well, day like five or six, but day two of our actual planned adventure. Adam, what was the highlight of the day today for you? Highlight of the day, floating the river. That feeling of finally shoving off and floating down. The water was beautiful. Scenery was beautiful. Fun little wave trains, no drama. Nobody flipped. Yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed that part of it because the couple of the rooms we've done have been quite... Like, like have been... There's been moments where it's like you kind of feel like you could die if you don't don't pull it together. And today was just kind of like fun. Fun. It like felt in control, but kind of like having to manage around some wave trains and some bends and stuff. It was fun. It was beautiful. And yeah. Hey, so you've done a lot of hunting and you've probably accessed hunting in a number of different ways. So have you done a pack raft adventure hunt part of this? Not. I've used them more as like an accessory, like a backup plan to fly into a lake and float. Use it to putt around a lake or like float down a river and then grab your stuff. 
and be picked back up at the same spot, but not like as the primary like mode of transportation, like a huge part of the of the access. Um, more as like it's in the quiver, it's coming in the plane, um, and we've used it a little bit. But this is like the first kind of dedicated have all of our gear. Took the pack rafting course with Eat Wild, so we figured out all the mistakes I was making <laughs> earlier this spring, and now have the confidence to, to do it. Um, and it's fun. I mean, it's super fun. I've done a lot of river trips, like a lot of like 14-foot rafts with frames and 100 beers and fly fishing, like quite a few of those. The margin for error with those pieces of transportation is super high like you can bounce off every rock like those hairpin turns that were coming around that we tried to avoid yeah on a big raft like you just yeah. you can bumper boats all that stuff and yeah it's totally mellow so a um, little bit of experience doing that and canoe trips and things like that but pack rafting this is like probably the first all in need to pack raft to get out of this place and to access some pretty cool country yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I, I don't know if I should ask you this question now or later in the trip, but like, there, you know, there's, you've no doubt been on a horse hunts in, and as far as like the, I, I mean, for lack of a better word, like the fuckery involved with like, like <laughs> we spent a lot of time like packing our rafts and packing up our stuff, stuffing stuff in our rafts, getting our kit together, you know, floating down the river, pumping up our rafts. Like, there's a fair bit of like, you know, effery to go around when you're, messing with out with your rafts in order to maintain get some access right and like there's a certain amount of you know you know and it, it pays off in the sense that we're in a spot now that i think we're hunting elk that probably haven't been hunted at least this season and probably not very often which is which is awesome but there was a fair bit of effing around to get here like two days of pretty much two days of effort to get here um on top of the travel time to get to the, to the you know you know northern rockies um so reflecting on just how much, you know, effort it takes to kind of move with these, where do you put it in terms of other types of hunts you might have done and, and, and trying to like, you know, you know, access a different way to, you know, get to somewhere that somebody else hasn't hunted. Less than horses for sure, because our rafts are hanging in a tree right now. And they don't have to eat. They don't have to drink water. They're not gonna pump themselves up and pump themselves up and fly thirty miles down the river by themselves. I don't think. I suppose they could get eaten by a bear or something, which would be not great. But the thing about horses is that you're always concerned about them in the middle of the night, in the morning, when you go out hunting in the evening. I mean, it, it was a bit of farting around and. I think that's more about like I, like learning the skill and learning how you sort of go from hike mode to float mode to hunt mode, basically, right? Yeah. And those transitions, and I'm learning that and slow at it. But I think you can progress. Whereas horses, there's a whole other element, which is it's an animal with its own personality and its own set of needs um, that can be pretty limiting on the type of hunting that I like to do anyways, which is mostly like off on your own cruising around. Mm -hmm. So I'd say pack rafts less than horses for sure. 
Um, I mean, it, the nice thing, I mean, sometimes when you have different modes of transportation, maybe airplane, jet boat, ocean boat, something that's dropping you off, there's probably less farting around. I mean, there is some farting around getting in and getting out, but there's a lot of coordination with regards to getting into your spot and out of your spot that's highly dictated by weather. I think the really cool thing about this pack rafting mission is that if the weather's bad, we can still get out. If our plans change, we can still get out. We could stay as long as we want. There's no like third party coordination yeah. that you have to work on if you have a bush plane or something. That's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. But it still feels like remote and, and we're not running into other hunters, which is a big reason why we do this stuff is to just sort of be out here mm-hmm. off on our own. So that element is not part of this, which is nice. Yeah, I enjoy that so much. Even, I mean, I I know some great spots to hunt elk, but you're going to have to compete. And there are better spots to hunt elk than I'm sure that we're going through here. But it's more fun not to compete and just to figure, like, I, I feel like this is going to be fun the next few days because we're going to figure this out. Like, we're going to have to figure out every everything we do, we're just figuring it out. Like, we're, and, and, you know, we're, we're piecing it together between the, you know, the sign that we see, the habitat that we see on the hills, and, and then just getting out there and putting our boots on the ground and, you know, cruising around and like, oh, there's rubs here, they heard something, and it'll be fun if it, if it comes together, we pull off a hunt. And it's so great when you're not factoring in the other elk hunter into the mix, which is a huge part of elk hunting in most places in BC. You're just constantly, oh, well, was that it? Was that an elk? Oh, no, that was a hunter. That was for sure a hunter. That's all, <laughs> yeah. that, that was definitely a power bugle. Uh, and that just, yeah, that just, I, I just, um, I just love eliminating that because then the whole, my whole f- freedom of hunting and the whole figuring it out part just is down to those elements that are, you know, you know we don't have control over them, but we just, you know, we get to assess those elements that we, um, yeah, that are like nature-based, not human-based, right? So, yeah, no, fun, fun start so far. Well, We'll come back to that conversation at the end as far as, like, how much, like, fuckery versus, like, should we have just, like, hunted off the highway or just flown into a spot at the end of this? And, uh, but it's been a good start. That was a hell, that was a really awesome drift. Um, a little bit of a, a little bit of a path to get to it, but, uh, yeah, man, fun day so far. Super fun. Yeah. We'll find out by the end of the trip, yeah. Yeah, totally. All right, that's day one. Well, day two, I should say, wrapped up. We have a few beagles around camp. And, um, yeah, we're hunting for scene tomorrow. So check in then. All right, so day three of our 2022 elk hunt. And um, an outside fire going tonight. Uh, sitting underneath the sky full of stars and a full moon and uh, sitting out here on the river river bank or river bed I should say yeah pretty special night so Spencer you ready to recap day three what um, how are we doing on our elk hunt so far well I think overall we're doing great 
we uh, we got bellies full of food. We got the northern lights and in the distance. Um, oh yeah, they're happening now, hey. Yeah. Uh, and we're in an amazing area, but if we were measuring in terms of, uh, if our success, our measurement of success was based on elk seen Dead and killed, yeah. we would be failing horribly. Yeah. So it depends how we're measuring, uh, how things are going. Yeah. We have yet to see an elk since we've been on our expedition elk hunt. And, uh, having said that we have seen like we well, there, there's been indications of elk we've heard bugling we've seen lots of elk sign so based on what you've okay so this is your first elk hunt spencer so what have you learned about elk hunting that were the key things that you've learned so far about this newest hunt that you've embarked on it, it's so hard to um be able to say anything definitively because we're still just, Adam said it earlier yesterday or something. It's it's like we're going in blindfolded. Because, I mean, in my eyes right now, we've made all these decisions on what to do, where to stay, how to hunt these elk. And nothing has led up to any success or any different, anything different. Like we're just kind of running around finding elk sign. Um, kind of, I mean, I've changed up a few of my techniques and how I think I'm doing it. So I, I don't know if I've learned anything really meaningful or great. Um, it, it re reiterates the sort of lesson of any hunting on how much weather and timing and all of that dictates success. And when things happen, they happen. Yeah, the, the, the thing about... You know, people ask me about elk hunting and where to go elk hunting, and I say like the the number one most important thing is you got to put yourself in a position to have elk interactions, because the more interactions you have, the more you'll learn about elk hunting, and you have to mess up so many opportunities before one works out, and it's been difficult because we haven't had a whole lot of elk interactions. We had a couple when we were still at, when we were back at base camp, we had some elk interactions in our first couple of hunts um, before Jenny took off. Um, but yeah, since we've been on this expedition, um, yeah, we just, it's just not happening, but it, oh, so it's, it's also coinciding with some, some pretty significant weather factors and that being it's, it was like maybe 20 degrees today at probably midday. Yeah. And it's right now you're sitting there in your t-shirt and it's 11 o'clock at night and you're about 10 feet from the fire and you are tough, but it's just not that cold. And, um, and we're also s sitting here around the fire, hanging out and I can see your face perfectly in the moonlight cause it's a full moon. So there's, uh, I think we're dealing with what, you know, the heat of the day is keeping from elk being active through the day. And then of course the full moon is allowing them to be active through the night, which means that there's not a whole lot of like they're, they're getting their stuff done at night for sure. When it's cool with the full moon which is limiting our elk interactions. What did you see out there that was exciting? Um, this morning I, I got to really hang around my uh, first elk wallow. 
And so that was neat to see just the little details. I think I got most excited to see that fresh shredded bark in the little pool of water and just how, uh, yeah, how neat it is to be able to touch, feel, and see something that was on an elk's head <laughs> potentially <laughs> yeah, hours, yeah, earlier. hours earlier. Yeah. It's like, um, not many people can say that they have wallowed around yeah, an elk wallow. At wallowed around <laughs> elk wallow, wallow and fiddled with something it was that was stuck in its antlers hours prior. I was thinking today as I was walking up through this, what I was saying, I was in Bull Elk City there, and there's like about maybe like 12 relatively fresh scrapes and rubs and i was like i gotta do like a video on like assessing the freshness of a rub or a scrape and like like right down to like assessing those like sh the, uh, the like the 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 uh bark that's peeled off a log that, that that they've been rubbing to figure out you know how fresh it is and and then trying to age how old moss is that's been turned over and yeah, it'd be kind of an interesting exercise and an interesting video to talk about for sure. It, I mean, it's hilarious. What came to mind is this shredded bark sitting in the elk wallow. Um, if it got covered with mud, it could potentially be preserved for a very, very long time. And what I instantly thought of was when I dabble in archaeology for my research <laughs> yeah, and work, yeah, totally. <laughs> when we preserve like woven cedar mats from the northwest coast, yeah, we preserve it in water. Yeah, it's like shredded bark in this water. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's just a random so you could dig down uh, to the bottom of the wallow and find like 10,000 years of elk, yeah, actually, yeah, <laughs> or elk archaeology, yeah. Wow, that's got to be a planet behind us. That is so bright. Crazy. What a beautiful night. Well, we're kind of running out, running out of hunt plans for this spot, so I think tomorrow we're going to have to head down river and um, find some new elk spots with no with elk that aren't cooperating. Great. All right. We'll sign it off for tonight. recording I think so we are uh, day we skipped our updates from the last two days because we had a uh, well we've got lots to catch up on so Adam do you want to bring us up to speed on the last couple of days up to speed last couple of days yeah we okay let's think here lots have been happening we were on the river last time we were hanging out sitting around and I think we hadn't even moved camp yet. Correct. Well, we played the game of put stuff in bags, put those bags in bigger bags, put those bigger bags in a <laughs> inflatable raft. Played that game probably 15 times. And then we floated down the river. No drama. Nobody flipped. Nobody got hung up. Everybody was high-fiving. And... Fun. Beautiful, yeah, it's great. It yeah, great. The, river, the river experience was was a blast. Like that that river was, yeah. It, and it's kind of I don't know anybody else has done that river, so I I was pleasantly surprised that we, I didn't fear for my life. 
like some other rivers that we've done similar things on. And so it's like that, that part was actually like enjoyable for the first time. And it wasn't overly long either, which was pleasant as well. Um, but the downside of this is that there was no elk in the front of the boat. So maybe Adam, give us, give me your reflections on, on our, our hunting experience. Um, well on the river. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the question I think in the modern adventure hunting world is like as old as, as it gets, it's it probably as old as people were hunting is, do you go to a spot that you hunted before or do you go explore something new? And my reflections on the hunt would be we explored something new and it didn't produce bountiful hunting results that we would hope. Although I think the conditions were a ginormic, ginormous factor on that. But um, yeah, you're going in to learn a new spot. You have to go and and more often than not, you don't know everything about it and might not totally work out the way that you hoped. So Spence, what are some of those factors that were in your learnings over this past week that uh, were making hunting conditions a little less perfect? Uh, well, I guess with uh, the style of elk hunting we were doing, which was hoping to bugle them in, get talking with them, communicate the, with them, which was a huge draw and excitement for me. I, um, I've got experience hunting moose and calling moose in, and I love that. It's one of the most exhilarating things where you're communicating with an animal. And so to do that with elk was really exciting. And, uh, and when they just aren't calling, like, uh, you had expected them or all of us expected them to be this time of year. Uh, it's, uh, it's hard to, uh, get results when we come in expecting to lure them in with calls and do that traditional elk hunt. And, uh, yeah, between hot weather and, uh, the bulls not being fired up, we, uh, we're kind of stuck. What I heard a few times, um, it was like we were wandering around blindfolded looking for these elk. And uh, as, as a hunter, uh, if you can't call them in, in these sorts of situations, you think, well, maybe we can like spot one. We can spot and stalk or something like that. But it was so hot, they were hiding in these nasty, brushy places. And in how many days we didn't even see, see a bull yeah. on countless mountains. Yeah. And then the third thing, you, like, so once you give up hope of calling him in, like, locating them, then you hope for maybe sighting them and, and like, spot and stalking. And that feels, then you go to, like, still hunting. And, like, just, like, maybe if I just sneak through enough elky spots, I'll bump into one. And where we were hunting is basically, like, generations of burns, right? And so there's just, like, so much regen in different stages of regenerating some of it's like like actually not bad like it's mature enough you can see some sight lines it's well used by elk it's like 
and you could actually like hunt it, but the majority of it is some description. I think I use the word like, there's like this quagmires in every direction. Like you're like, oh, you can go through the swamp and like get your knees in water, or you can go through the willow brush that's like pointing straight downhill and like, like pushing you off the hill the whole time, or you can go through like the spruce bog, which is like trying to fight your way through this ancient spruce and like, yeah. It was unforgiving country, so there was no hope of like sneaking across grassy like hillsides. And oh, hello, little visitor to camp, little uh, shrew or something just cruised through. Um, One of the few wildlife encounters we've had. Hang on a second. <laughs> second. Let's soak get, this in. Let's get a, yeah. get a picture of that. You want to sneak in on him? Spence, get your beagle. See if you can bring him back in. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Let's. Totally. So yeah, like there just wasn't a whole lot of hunting options. And then it's like, it, it felt, it wasn't, I don't think it was, I mean, it, it, it was over 20 degrees during the day, right? Oh, it was so hot. Right. It was so hot. I mean, we were dying. We would get back to camp and just be unable to think it was so hot. Yeah. You couldn't sleep. You had to like go find a spot in the sun or sorry, in the shade and like, yeah, throw your thermos under a spruce tree and grab a few Z's and wait out the heat. I was climbing up the hill like at four or five in the evening and I had to like, it was so hot that I had to take my pants off. I just dropped my, just dropped my pants, like the belt off. I just like cool down and then like pull my pants up again and then walk up the hill. Like it, my pants didn't have vents on them. Just the um, um, wrong choice, wrong pant choice on this river trip in the, in the summertime. But. Well, and the moon is a big factor too. I mean, that moon was so bright and it, it rose. I mean, obviously it changes a little bit every day, but it rose. Basically the sun went down and then the moon would just like, it was coming up. I mean, and it was so bright. You could see a perfect shadow. You could see, I mean, you could, you could see. Yeah, and you could see it. You get up for a pee, or yeah, it's unreal. We were rocking the sweet, the sweet seek outside teepee, and that first night it came out. I thought Dylan or Adam or someone was outside, glaring into the tent with their headlamp. Mm. But it was just that gigantic oh, yeah. moon. Oh, several days I wake up and I and it'd be like one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, shit, guys, like we slept through the alarm. Like I was like, or actually, no, I was like, oh shit, we really got to get going. It's getting pretty light out. <laughs> so I was actually thinking, I'm pretty tired still. Yeah. All right. There's nothing I hate worse than when I hear like hunters blaming the weather for their lack of success. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I'm like, really? Oh yeah. The, the rut didn't come on. It was too warm. This, this is, you know, just. How about the wind? The wind, yeah, we heard that today. Some <laughs> sheep hunters, some sheep hunters came. I think they found the most idyllic sheep hunting conditions. We should have turned this into a sheep trip, which I don't even want to say that out loud. I just did, but um, but yeah, they came off the mountain because it was too sunny and lovely. Um, anyways, uh, I, it's not that I hate worse than here. So really, this is about. I mean, like again, this is an adventure trip, right? And uh, good, yeah. Um, this is an adventure trip, and, and the reality of adventure trips is uh, that, like with so many, so, like, there is an adventure component, which we, you don't have that baseline knowledge to know. For example, like when you're in a pack raft, you're floating down a river, and 
you have to know you only get to stop so many places. You only have so many days. You get, and the only times you can, like Adam says, like you put stuff in bags, and then put them in bigger bags, and then stuff them inside the big boat, and then do that in reverse when you get to camp. And uh, so, you know, like you, you got to kind of do your best to e-scout your spots as to where you think you're going to stop. And, and then, of course, you as you're sitting in the boat looking up at it, you got about five minutes as you're passing through it or seeing it coming to decide, okay, we're going to stop here. And you're, basically your level of research is to get off onto the bank and wander up and down the bank and see how much sign there is or what kind of view, views you have and what camp might be like. And sometimes the place you want to hunt, there's nowhere to camp. So you're kind of limited and all these factors come in. And then at the end of the day, you got, you're just, you then you unleash three dudes on a hillside with hopes of turning something up. So. Well, yeah. And I think, but I think that I would, I would say just to maybe we're all a little bit like hanging our heads more than we should be, or, or we're not hanging our heads, but the whole reason that we do this is that the, the end result is unknown the story is not written and so if you did know hey go here camp at location x climb on this glassing knob look here bugle three times yeah it it, it actually takes away from it's like the reason that sunflower seeds come inside of a shell It's because the the fun is kind of cracking them open and chewing them, right? And if you just eat bag a handful after handful after handful of, of shelled sunflower seeds, like sunflower seeds aren't even that good. No, they're pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> they're really boring. So it's it's like unlocking the the spot, unlocking the secret, figuring it out. That I think well, the reason we're on this trip is is that, and even if it just means getting down through a through a trip safely and and all our gear worked and we learned lots of different little tricks on how to optimize it and what we do differently. But even if it's just that, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, we're so fortunate and it's an incredible privilege to just be out here dicking around in the woods, right? With our buddies. It's interesting just with building on that and the thought that came to mind when you said it's an adventure hunt, Dylan, is all of us, um, I, I think have, our other hunting and lives going on where we're providing uh, harvested food for ourselves and our family and stuff. And I've noticed these adventure hunts, um, for me, they're almost like expendable in the way that I don't rely on these for meat. And so you go into that vulnerability of hunting knowing that I can come out out of this without meat, like last year's sheep hunt. Yeah. I had no expectation. We joked about getting sheep. Yeah. But I had no expectation of getting sheep. We were doing this crazy pack raft sheep hunt that was so far-fetched to me, someone who had never been out in in these places before. Now we're doing it with elk. Yeah. Where I go back home, it's exactly what you described, where we have like halibut fishing grounds. We have all these places back home in my uh, indigenous territory where it's like, we know where to fill our freezer. Yeah. We do that. And then we partake on these other things that are a bit more extreme, the mountain hunting, the adventure stuff. Yeah. And and so it's just a neat, 
it differentiates why you come to the hunt. And I think this was one of those. Yeah, for sure. So this is interesting. This is a perfect, hold on, just pause for one sec. My hands on my pants. So this is interesting. So there's a couple of things we're talking about here. And I, I mean, so, so this is kind of like where we are now is we'll come back to this conversation at the end of the, you know, like, like I've been lucky enough to hunt. We're, we're back at base camp here where I've hunted elk for, I, I don't know if it's been 20 years, but it's getting pretty close to 20 years. And, and we've had a high degree of success hunting here. So it has been my, like, if usually fill my freezer by September 2nd is by, you know, and then I rest the hunting season is like easy breezy. Right. And, and it's, you know, half an elk or something like that in the freezer. So that's kind of my normal. Right. And, and so, but also there is that, that element of, of, of the adventure hunt, which I've totally identified. Like I, like, like I, I actually don't know if I could put in a full season now of just coming out and slogging out, you know, two weeks in elk camp at my base camp here and just like climbing up the different hills from base camp and putting it together, even though I think it's highly successful if you put the time in, but without that adventure element, it, it just like, it, it leaves something that I'm just not filled up. And so I kind of want to have both. I'm really striving to have both. I want that adventure, but I still like, I, I do love having, well, the, the elk hunt and the elk hunt is really special because the elk hunt is probably the one hunt that like you, you truly engage with a, with an animal and it, this amazing thing happens when, when it comes together and they, you, you, you hear them and then you come up with a strategy to get closer to them and you call and the calling strategy works and the, and how you move in on them works out. They present themselves and it's just like unbelievably exciting. It's by far the most exciting type of hunting um, that I've ever done. And, and, um, and it's something I think you get good at and you get good at it from both, you know, just kind of sizing up the situation and knowing what type of calling session to do. But I think what gets you good at it is knowing the country because once you know the pockets where the, the bull elk live, you know, the areas that are huntable, you know, the access points to those areas that makes you good at it. And cause then you can like today we knew where that, we heard that bull. I knew exactly where he was. Unfortunately, I hadn't researched that particular spot enough to know how to get in there efficiently. We got in there and we got in there and ended up jumping the bull right out. Like right when we stepped, literally just got into the huntable zone that I had marked on my, um, that I had marked from a previous year where I wandered through there and said, shit, this is a bull zone. I should come hunt this at some point. And on our way out, we found the perfect access route. So now I've, now I've got the bull zone marked. I've got the access in and out marked. And I know that there's going to be a bull probably on that little knob. There was last couple of years ago and there was this year. So it's a good indicator, right? So knowing that type of information makes you a successful hunter, right? But so that's the big thing that's missing. So when we, when we go float down the river, like we just have no, we don't have any of that. We don't know where to start. And it takes a couple of days to find those spots. And, and we found a few of those spots. We found some spots that, like, this is a bull elk spot. This is like, unfortunately it took us wandering around all over the mountainside to find that spot. And we probably chased all the elk off the hill, or at least they're already in kind of a fragile state of not particularly wanting to respond to calls because of the heat and the full moon. And we're not doing ourselves any favors. And then now we're sitting at this base of this one hill that we can hunt. And I'm also of the mind that like, 
I, I typically wouldn't hunt at the same spot two days in a row if, because I think the animals take a, take a day or two to, to return to those core areas after you push them out. So yeah, that's a struggle with, with particularly with pack raft hunting is that you're and, and exploring, you're always on a new spot. But having said that, like, you know, going back to you, Adam, like, do you find yourself, like, do you find yourself, I mean, you hunt a lot. Do you, do you, do you have hunts that you go back to year over year that are sort of your, you know, go-to hunts or, or, or do you err on the side of looking for that next adventure? I, uh, the latter, I err on the side of looking for the next adventure. Um, not always, but mostly, or something to learn from the previous hunt informs like how you would do it differently, maybe. And I think there's a few reasons for that. I think one, there's just so much to see on planet Earth. And then when you even focus it smaller down to North America and then even BC, Northern BC, there is more hunts than you could do in a lifetime. And I think a huge part of it is, and I think this is like an interesting commentary about like having a exploratory kind of like part of your DNA that's like, I wanna like look and see and search. And um, hunting, is, is, hunting is like a vehicle to allow us to do that. Um, and, and so is pack rafting and, and hiking and fishing and all these sorts of outdoor recreational things. But um, I wouldn't say exclusively only going back to, to new places, but I think there's like something cool about that and figuring it out. Um, I'd say the exception to that is, is like the sort of nostalgic part of hunting, which like I grew up hunting with my dad and brother and returning to some places, whether I'm hunting or just tagging along on a hunt is super cool to be like, Oh yeah. Like I remember this trip and we camped there and we packed a ram off that mountain or we just sat in our tent and froze our asses off, whatever, all those little stories. And like, you get to relive them a little bit when you return. So I, I get the sense that you're probably feeling that here because you have two decades of hunting experience. And really it's probably less about the efficiency of the hunt and more just like the people that you've shared it with and the campfires and the stories and all those things that flood back over you. And the hunting is just maybe a bit of a, of a vehicle for you to do that. I'm not sure. I see you scan your eyes around thinking <laughs> if that's true. I don't know, I'm trying that on. I'm trying it on. Like I, 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 I'm actually curious to get Spencer's perspective on this because you hunt home, right? And so tell, tell, reflect on sort of hunting home versus hunting adventures and where you, what, where the motivation or what fires you up lies within that spectrum. Um, so I think for indigenous communities, the bread and butter is like knowing your ecosystem and being in relationship with that ecosystem. And a part of that is knowing these intricacies with any species that you harvest. And so back home on the coast, there's a new species every month. And you step on that ground and you know that your family have been doing that for thousands of years in that exact spot. And so it's interesting that these places of harvest 
are it, it's almost the opposite of an adventure in a way because it's like it's home and 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 eating that and being a part of that it's all it's just your home and that was something that's funny uh that i think is a conversation in a lot of academic spaces this is this concept of wilderness and how there has never been a word i've never come across a word in my time in in university working with different indigenous people there's no word for wilderness mm. it's because everything was like a part of you as you are a part of it and it's just such a a, a different concept to other the natural world and so it, it's just i mean so if that's your baseline this is in the complete dichotomy the complete opposite the adventure hunt mm. And so for Spencer, I have this kind of selfish goal. I, maybe it's selfish to some people, probably not at all to others, where I would love to harvest every big game species that BC has to offer. Mm -hmm. That's like accessible to me. And, and so I, I see those as these adventure hunts throughout my lifetime. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think... I find personal excitement and beauty in that because I see, I, I kind of understand the intricacies of the ecosystems back home. And so when I come to a place like this and I'm a, a, a green elk hunter, I can s just sort of imagine, okay, I can think of how complex and like the beauty and the awe and all these things that I might feel for hunting mountain goats in my territory or or moose or goat or whatever and I can apply it to this and be like I've got a little taste of it and to know that there's these layers upon layers that I just don't know I'm willing to accept it because it's not my home but I'm happy I got a little taste of it but I do struggle like there's this guilt of I'm just showing up and taking something mm -hmm. and I talked about that before yeah and, and and so it's it's bizarre for me and it, it's something that I struggle with. And I'm also trying to be like, Spencer, just go and have these beautiful hunts and not think too much about it. But also, Spencer, how do you be a good um, conservationist and someone who cares about ecosystems and environments? And, and so those are thoughts that come to mind when you ask that question. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I was rolling my eyes out. Not really, no, it was like scanning my thoughts in my head as you said, like, you know, it's about the experience and the people and like, and I think about the pack outs for those moments. Like those, those are like, there's amazing, like this, the group work ethic and, and how awesome it is to, to pack an animal out with a group of people. And an elk is about like the perfect amount of like, like an elk for two kilometers between four people, five people is a pretty, pretty good workout and it's an awesome team building thing and it just like brings out the best and everybody in the after hang is is awesome the tailgate beer well i should say tailgate uh coke um is uh is great and um and the beer back at camp you get things in the proper order here as uh is 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 you know absolutely amazing it's like truly a, a an awesome experience and i think about that and you know and but to be honest like i when i come here like this is an interesting hunt like the there's not a lot of hanging out in elk hang because the days are so long so you end up you have your you, you get up at 4 30 and and you get you know you're on the hill by six and you're you're hunting until about 
11 and then you come back for a lunch and a nap and then you have a bit of dinner and then you know typically you're back out at five until dark and then you come back to camp and you fall like fall into your bed at nine and then do it all over again so it typically is that, that it's not really a social hunt i mean there's a little bit of socializing in the middle of the day maybe you have a beer in the middle of the day like before nap time um but it's not it's not it's not really it's not really like I, I don't know. It hasn't really been the type of hunting we've done here. I've seen some great hangs and great experiences when there's been a few elk hanging out, and then we maybe take it a little bit more easy. Um, but we're kind of, you know, we're kind of at least Jeff and I in the in the years we've done this have been kind of grinders on on the hunt. Um, but the I think it comes back to I kind of sit with Spencer a little bit in a, in a different way. Like I have a few spots around BC that that are that are home to me and. Where I hunt white-tailed deer, where I started hunting from, you know, 10, well, 11, 12, 13, or something like that, till now, I've been hanging out in the same spot, you know, same same hunting camp for, for till now. That's a lot of years. I don't even want to say like over 35 years or something of going back to the same spot. Like so, and those hunts are like you just, I just know where every foot's gonna land on every like I, every hunt that I do, and and I, and I kind of love just breaking down each hunt and figuring out why like you know if I if I walk around the tree the, on this side I have a better chance of getting a look at the deer if he's bedded down in that zone and like it could you could break it down to the touch minor like minuscule detail and that's because it's it's home to me it's my it's my place that I hunt deer and I committed to that for 10 days a year for a long time now and I feel a little bit like that here and I, I sort of had fun with that like I had fun with it today like well both hunts we've been on like when we went up the hill. I was like, we're going to get to this, this shitty going here. But then there's a spot up top, but I think an elk will live. And we, like, just knowing that there's that one little patch of mature poplar on top of that hill was, was, was I don't know, just like kind of like having that knowledge locked in there. It happens to be a spot where, where a bull elk lives. And same today with you, Spence. Like, that's like just kind of knowing, I don't know, I, I, I just kind of get, get into like knowing a place so incredibly well that you, can kind of be like well there's that trail there and there's that access point there and there's that patch of alder there and there's that patch of willow there and and over 20 years it's a lot of information and i kind of kind of get a kind of nerd out on that or just i don't know what the right word is for it i just kind of i kind of dig it but you just said like 20 minutes ago i want to have both and i want to have an adventure and i want this and i want that and then there's only 30 <laughs> days in september and you only have so many Septembers in your, life. in your life, and here we are, right? Well, this is why this is a conundrum, and we're talking about it. So this is exactly <laughs> so. We, that was a great introduction to the to the podcast. But this, so we we have this. So we're 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 sitting around now, and we're having a beer, and Spencer's having an aha, um, and we're 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 reflecting on our trip, and we're trying to figure out if we're going to pull a pin. And and you know give give a couple of days. Everybody's got busy lives here, and we, we all need to probably all go back to our busy lives and deal with life ahead. Um, on the other hand, we're sitting in you know elk camp that I'm very familiar with. That you know I think you know like we could carry on cutting elk and potentially having more elk interactions and and maybe stumble into a six point bull elk. Um, but recognizing that you know we're up against what is. Uh, hot weather, full moon. Just, there seems to be a higher than average number of hunters around the area plugging up most access to a lot of the spots here. Some folks are pulling out. So 
trying to reflect on whether we should, you know, say, hey, we've had a great adventure hunt. Can we go home and be like, we had a great adventure hunt. That was, that, was, that one checks the boxes. And, uh, but we potentially could hunt for three more days. And do we stick it out and hunt in less than optimal weather conditions? There are signs that the elk are starting to perk up around here. We had a decent hunt today. There was a few elk wandering around that we spotted. Plus we had a, an elk interaction on the hillside. So it felt a little bit more like a, like a hunt was coming together. So we're kind of reflecting on that. And we were just having that discussion before we turned the podcast machine on. And I was like, oh sh shit, we should well, kind of maybe capture this. Because there is a certain point in every hunt when you maybe have to either accept that it's been a great hunt and move on or kind of work away at it and then kind of assess your motivation for why it is you need to you need to hang on i mean there's important people in our lives that would like this to be back in our lives right now and, and and stuff to do and and evaluate that so we kind of were having that discussion so maybe we'll we'll kind of bring that to this the podcast as to where we're at and um and so maybe i'll go to you spencer as far as you know three more days of elk hunting we haven't really like you're the rookie elk hunter. My my hope for you was to have like that classic moment where you know an elk we engage with an elk and an elk comes storming in and whether it's a four point five point or a six point, I just wanted to have you have that experience. And up till now, it, that just hasn't made itself available. So um, aside from seeing this amazing part of the world and of course the the, the adventure of the river, where are you sitting now in terms of you know assessing where, where we're at with either bringing this trip to an end or forging ahead for a couple more days. And so I'll, I'll try to parse out all the thoughts going through my head right now, but it, it brings back to the foundation of why were we doing this? And I think that's how I'm making the most sense. I'm trying to make notes as Dylan's asking me these questions. So I have all my <laughs> thoughts in note form. But that's the piece like where you can draw all your conclusions from is this like question of why were we doing this? And I think it goes back to what we said earlier. It's like there's this this exploratory aspect of this hunt is the vulnerability that you, you're going to somewhere that you don't know you can produce elk or that you don't know will produce meat, whether it's elk or whatever it's whatever it is. In this case, it was elk and it didn't produce. And so we finished that pack raft exploration part of it. And we're back at Dylan's camp, as he mentioned, where there's areas that Dylan really knows. And, um, and so I'm struggling with the question of if I went into this hunt hoping to like kill an elk or harvest something. I, I didn't even go in expecting, like I was also We, we all expected you to kill something on the first day, in the first hour of your, like a six point bullock was gonna just come strutting out in front of you on the riverbank when you were setting up your tent and you're just gonna go and be like, well, this is great. I love this hunt, this is awesome. <laughs> As I was driving up, I was getting super fired up about like, I've been practicing the last month on my elk calls. I would love to help call an elk in, like that was my, hope which i think is a pretty reasonable expectation yeah, that has yeah. not been met yeah but um 
the excitement was doing that, having someone harvest an elk and then pack rafting it out and being it all a part of this package. Mm -hmm. And now it's kind of like, well, we can go to Elder Dylan. <laughs> it's like his knowledge in this spot. Because it is, when I come to this and watch Dylan navigate the landscape, it's really neat because it reminds me of home when I go out with the generation above me. Not that Dylan is the generation above me. But when I go out with whoever fishermen I'm going out with, they're like, this is where we're going to fish today and this is why, because these people taught me and whoever. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar, you know. There's amazing stuff that people learn about landscapes and the intricacies of it. So Dylan's like, well, we can keep hunting, but there's, I can't deny there's this feeling of like, well, we got the package. Like the package was delivered. We didn't have the outcome we expected, but like we did what we came here to do. Mm -hmm. And that was to do this pack rafting thing. And so will scrambling for this other outcome make us satisfied? And I just don't know if it will. Hmm. What would make me satisfied is giving this pack raft hunt another chance in another year. Hmm. I know that's a yes for sure. Yeah. And this is not me saying like going out and harvesting an elk in a different place than what we plan to do would not be satisfying. It's just that one's a definitive yes. Mm -hmm. I would be so stoked and satisfied to do that. Mm. Where there's still a question mark about this other option. It's just like, I don't know. Like embarrassment of riches. Like, like yeah. Yeah, like, oh. I <laughs> and so there's also the other part of this, there's ego involved of like, I don't know if I should call it ego, but there's yeah, like yeah, this. For me, it's ego. I, and I, let's go there. I, lo I love this. For me, it's like, we put money. When I started hunting, I, I, I learned from all my elders. And they talk of, like being poor, living in a very sustenance economy sort of thing. And it was like you hunted to survive. So when I started hunting, I was always of the mindset, like we're doing this to save money. Like we're doing this because we need to. And it's been a really hard realization that I live in a time where we have disposable income. And like I'm not hunting to save money anymore. Or And like... I mean, we're getting some of the most wonderful meat and food you can, and it's all priceless. But I had this equation in my head when I first started hunting that, like, the if you could put a dollar value to what how much meat or fish you're getting, it should be more than the money you spend going out on the hunt. And these adventure hunts, like that is, it, that can't be in the equation at all. Like we're purchasing crazy gear, like pack rafts and things that make us get to amazing places. We're driving very far. We're doing all these things. And so um, a part of me is trying to go through this process of saying, well, we, we put all this effort, this money, this resources into like making this hunt happen. Wouldn't it be great to have something to show for it? And this is like speaking from an, the ego place. This mm -hmm. isn't like logical, grounded Spencer yeah. speaking. This is like the stuff that comes up in your head that you try to sort out. And, mm -hmm. and so there's that. And it's like, well, before this hunt started, I had to drive from Prince Rupert to the Northern Rockies. 
and I had a truck breakdown and my parents let me the truck and it's like I would have loved to bring them elk meat and be like yeah thanks for letting me you this like amazing gesture mm-hmm. I wish I could have brought you elk meat like I would have and so there's things like that where the, I, I I I wish I could prove myself to other people mm-hmm. and so those are some of the struggles that come to mind when it's like this ego piece of it all yeah i'll, t- I'll think I, I like the ego piece and, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna think about that as i'll maybe i'll hand it over to adam just just reflect on you know where are you at with you know your you know particularly hunting season is super valuable in terms of your time and and uh and where are you at with wanting to save a few days and bring it back home to be support you know your your wife and and carry on with business is is that you do um versus you know trying to track down an elk or come home with meat or have more elk interactions hot seat (laughs) (laughs) no this is great this is super interesting uh I, i mean i think like hunting is super important to me and one thing that i hold really highly is being invited on trips with people and and the honor of being a hunting partner to somebody is like a honor bestowed that i like really don't take lightly at all and so that means you're reliable that means you show up when you say that means you're down to do anything and that's how i grew up and i have very few hunting partners like very few because they're hard to find those type of people right so in my mind i'm like well we're all hunting partners on this trip and if we want to, if one of us wants to stay and hunt a 800 pound animal, then the other people stay and help because if you kill one, then you need help packing it out. That's like a very logical, like that's like my hunting, like core ethic is, um, yeah, basically ride with the people that, that you hunt with. On the other hand, and the type of hunting that I mainly do is, sort of like high mountain undulates that when you think about them and trying to be successful and kill one, it's like a function of time and effort and it's like a graph. And it's like you put in more time and more effort and you have a higher chance of killing the animal, right? Of course, weather's a huge factor, all those sorts of things. Um, This type of hunting, which I've done less of, but I've done enough of it to have the feeling of this other huge factor, which is environmental, animal, weather, all these things. When we're when you're focusing on a rut-based hunt, which if you're hunting like sheep or goats in the non-rut season, the rut and the weather is not a factor. If you can see, you can see. And these type of hunts that I've done, that the weather indicates that they're it's super challenging, and we have everything stacked up against us. I want to hunt harder and hike further and I'm tracking my little miles and I'm like, okay, we'll just keep walking and keep hiking. And I like reflect back to the younger version of myself and it's like, it, it usually doesn't lead to like an input of, of success. It's usually like a big shift, like a weather shift or a moon shift or cloud cover comes in and now all of a sudden it's like a switch up. Like I've hunted, so like one particular hunt, uh, a buddy of mine drew like a super premium elk tag in Nevada, which Nevada, most of the listeners maybe are up in, in Canada. Um, 
in the lower 48 tags are super hard to draw we don't have the same luxury that we have here in bc which is like we can hunt 12 or 13 big game species over the counter every year nevada is like one of the best places to hunt elk but it's really hard to get a tag so this guy had been applying for 15 or 16 years he drew the tag the season ended september 16th i think it was like very similar to the situation that we're in and the hunting was hot 30 degrees worst elk hunting of all time we saw one elk in five or six days horrendous two days left in the season a huge system rolled in it got below zero it rained the next day was the best elk hunting i've ever had in my life it changed like something led to a change in the climatic factors which led to a great hunt i am highly confident that in that situation had it continued to be what it was we would be having the same amount of elk sighting interaction that we had which was abysmal that all aside there's also huge value in just camping and being around each other and and laughing and having a great time um we've accomplished that pretty well <laughs> <laughs> kind of like okay we have like a check mark on yeah good hang great conversations good laughs you know like Hunt well together, yes, check. You know, so we don't have to like, you know, we can carry on doing that, but we've accomplished that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I just think with like psychology of hunting a lot and like my mind wants to break everything down into like into like smaller chunks, which is like a ten day hunt breaks down into like three three day hunts, which breaks down into like a morning hunt and an evening hunt. And I'm sort of like going through the Rolodex of like our odds and, and our hunting and also like this is like my own personal hunting, but I get to like observe a lot of people hunt on like high pressure um maybe they paid a lot of money to go do the hunt or they've waited a long time to, to, to draw a tag and and like the psychology of someone else's hunt like through a camera yeah which is almost like a third party like i'm totally pulled back neutral watching them make their decisions and like what leads to a successful hunt and what doesn't and and when it's like hey live to fight another day kind of thing and all that said strictly from like can we kill an elk here in this spot perspective? I'm like, I have low confidence of that. And I'm usually the person, like if I was like 10 years younger, I'm like, if there is a 0.0000000001% chance, I want to be there hunting. And now like I've got more gray hairs than I had. And I'm like, well, maybe I should do something with those t that time, whether that's just yeah, getting my shit together to continue on with the rest of hunting season or just not being always one day behind that it feels like maybe it's better to do that yeah. i think that's fair i mean i think that the analysis of our situation and this is so i want to come back to ego because ego is sort of part of it too right because i'm you know for me like and it's something I, and I've talked about this probably before with, with Spence a little bit about like, you know, checking the ego out of hunting and it's a hard thing to do. And, and I'm not going to lie, but I'm, you know, I'm hunting with Adam Foss. This is a great opportunity to hunt with someone who's done a lot of hunting and, and, and you know, you're, yeah, and you're pumping up. <laughs> like, but I mean, like, 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 but no, like to take it to be like perfectly honest, like I'm like, I would love nothing more to take, you know, a, 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 an industry professional who's well appreciated in what you do out and, and float down the river with a big fucking elk across, sorry, big elk across the bow of the boat, right? <laughs> like, part of my ego wants that, right? That outcome for, for all of us. And, and and that's just something that, that comes up, right? And also, I see so much past that because of the connection we've had on this trip 
and and you know just the genuine beautiful trip that we just had in some spectacular weather like we had a premium back <laughs> pack rafting trip in the northern in the northern rockies and and i can I, and i like i can easily see that for what it is that's ego and i like and i identify that and i want to put that aside i want like, i don't want that to be part of my life and i work hard on that not to be part of my life and um part of the way i look at the world um so coming back like what what is important to me is like yeah, I, I just absolutely love hunting elk and when it work. And the part that makes it hard for me to leave is that I love hunting elk. And if there's a chance that I can have a good day elk hunting, which I have not had on this trip, we have not had a real elk hunt day where it's all worked out, where there's been multiple bulls calling and you see three or three bulls come in. And those hunts, man, like you're right, there's only so many Septembers, there's only so many opportunities to put yourself in that position to like make that happen. And man, like that's like, that's what I want. I want that for you guys. I want that for you, Spence. I want that for you, Adam. I want to be part of that with you. I want to share that with you and, and, and be part of it with you. And, and for me, that's the thing that's like, oh man, I could, I could hang in here for a couple more days just to like, you know, there were some indications that there was some elk moving around today. We did have an elk bugle in a, in a spot. I mean, if we go to one of the spots where there's a high density of bulls, like, you know, maybe tomorrow will be another frosty morning. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll all work out. But having said that, I've had lots of those days. Like, it's something I've had a lot, right? I've had tons of those days. And, and so is it my ego that's saying that I need that, that I need that fix of elk hunting? Like, can I just walk away going, man, what a great connection I had with two amazing people. What a beautiful landscape we hung out in. What, like, great experience we had with the learning about the gear and the pack crafting and the, you know, and all those things, which are, like, top-notch on this trip. And, uh, and is it just my ego that needs to be fed just to be like, ah, oh, I had a great day elk hunting? Or just the thrill of it, you know? Well, and I've been in your shoes um, hundreds of times because I'm usually the one who's you. And if I'm, if I, when you, when I hear you talk, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I, I've been there and you know how good it can be. Number one. Yeah. Number two, you're doing the calculus, which is, okay, this is going to be 355 days until the next time I get to do this. And I have the chance to do it for two more or three more days. And I'm here and all my stuff is here. And I'm going to get on the highway and start driving home and go, what the fuck am I doing? I, I, like, why would I leave this place that I wait 11 and a half months for every year to go do, right? Yeah. And so I definitely, I, I appreciate that big time. Um, I think, I think there's a big factor that we should mention, which is we check the weather. And we're using we're using our brains. We're using all the technology that we possibly can. And the weather says that it's going to be. I haven't looked at it, but twenty degrees. It's getting hotter. It's getting hotter. Yeah. So the hunting is like not showing signs of getting better. Although maybe anecdotally or just like our boots on the ground data is some elk are bugling. They're moving around. Maybe we should trust that. And if if you're like, hey, we should, and like let's lean into that. I am a hundred percent down. When I look at it, like observationally, I'm like, weather is the same or worse. There's this huge factor, which is like elk behavior and weather, which we are totally in, under, yeah. under control of. Yeah. 
And usually the type of hunting that I do is, well, we can control all these things and we can put ourselves out there. And it's like, we're trying. Um, but I think that that's when I've been in your position, I'm like last three days of sheep season, stove broke. It's horrible. Boots are frozen, running out of food. Yeah. But there's three days left. Like we are not leaving. And so I, 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 now I've like clued into like the Dylan froth factor, which is, this is your spot. This is your place. This is your time. And we would have, a, we have a chance. And I like totally respect and appreciate that because phenomenal places and, and whether you're hunting elk, sheep, fishing for steelhead or hunting goats or, or doing anything that like requires a huge amount of dedication. I like have a huge amount of respect for people that do that. And, um, yeah, I mean, if there's a season and there's time, there's five minutes left to the last day, you're not coming back early. Right. I mean, I totally respect that. And that's my personality type as well. One more pass. Let's just do one more pass. Are you trolling? It's just like one yeah. more pass. Let's one more, one more pass. Brother. No, it's looking not to go in yet. No, no, one more pass. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't think we're going to come to a conclusion here. I'm going to have another beer, maybe a nap. <laughs> I don't know, but I think we're probably going home tomorrow, but we'll, uh, still got one more hunt tonight. And, uh, get inspired maybe we'll have another shot on the podcast machine here to tell the listeners what actually happened hold up <laughs> we killed a giant elk that's gonna be the next i do love a couple of things one that this is this is like a forum to discuss things that are bouncing around in in probably everyone's hunting mind at all times mine for sure but i've never like actually thought about or like articulated thought about it a lot and two that we can we're kind of leaving it hanging. <laughs> cool. Spence, you ready to sign off here? Yeah, I'm ready to finish this AHA and I don't know. Get ready for the evening hunt. Yeah. 20 degree weather. Let's see if you can. Right on. Okay, well, we'll see what happens next. We're at Elk Camp in uh, 2022. Right on. <laughs>well, first, I think it's important to note that you're not, it is one of the worst things that you can do is to end a river trip with any beer. And we have no, none. True, true. So that's successful. True, yeah. We, like, it would have, if we had brought beer down on the river, we would have drank it all. Yeah. Sure any self-respecting rafters would have drank all the beer at the end of the trip. Yeah, and we have, we have none left now. So we're trying our best to play catch up. We decided to stay. I think we decided to stay for another hunt or two just and we were sort of we actually well we had wait made our where decision. are we now no we, we had no we are okay, last okay. night but like, last night we hadn't made our decision yet we actually were like we 
We went for a drive. We oh, were yeah, still right. undecided as to what we were going to do. So what happened on our drive? Well, we went for a walk. Wait a second. Maybe Spence will take over here. <laughs> yeah, I'll take over. We went for this beautiful drive. Went to some of Dylan's classic glassing areas. This one knob in particular. It was just a beautiful scene. Like this. It was a lovely night. Lovely night. You know, just beautiful golden grass on this hill. Uh, wonderful temperature. And because not because... It was like booming hot. We, there was a subtle shift. And finally, it just felt like, you know, we were kind of down in the dumps because as you would have heard by now, yes, we have got no elk on this pack raft trip. And it's like, what, you know, not really in the dumps. It was a wonderful trip. But we go, we get this weather change we've been waiting for, a, sub, a subtle change. And we spot two legal bulls on two different... Uh, hillsides that are quite close together which then provides us some inspiration for the next day's two separate hunts so inspiration so we got we got inspired and and i think uh, i think at the end of the day I, I i my vote was to to keep hunting because i just i'm just programmed to just keep hunting but there's very very important things i need to be doing at home so i felt like yeah, probably knowing that the weather is not changing and all the factors we talked about, I was like, if you guys can, if you guys want to go home, I think we should go. And on the other hand, I'll just keep hunting and I really would just like to have an opportunity to hear some elk bugle, you know, on this trip because it just, they've been really, really quiet all trip, not really doing their thing, not being super elky. So the call, Adam, what was the final call? Let's hunt. Yeah. Let's go in the morning. Let's do everything that we can to give ourselves the best chance on these two bulls. And, and I think that's one thing where it's really hard to like stay super disciplined on a hunt when, and, and make sure you're grinding it out and up early and staying until the last few minutes of shooting light, even though, you know, there's nothing out there and it's 30 mm -hmm. degrees. But it did feel, that morning did feel as if we were going to, be up there in the dark we're going to be chasing bugles before shooting light and giving ourselves the best chance so we were it actually was the first time where we actually felt like we were pursuing an animal <laughs> totally it was felt like we were actually all gunning well here spencer tell me what for you you're you're the newest to this this event elk elking what's elk hunting like can you describe it um uh i i guess Right off the bat, elk hunting is probably one of the, uh, visually, if, if you were to just watch someone hunt, it's probably the most, uh, th there's so many moving parts to elk hunting that make it just like almost this, this beautiful puzzle to work with. <laughs> and I'll try to unpack that with my thoughts. You're not just chasing a single animal you're working with an animal uh, you're working in an 
a dynamic where there's this bull you're chasing, but there's also this harem of cows you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with communication with that bull and with that harem of cows, which makes it this very cool, complex process. <laughs> and so for someone coming into this totally new, I was trying to pick up from Dylan and Adam as much as I could on, okay, where, when do we start calling? How do we start calling? Where should I be if I want to start calling? Um, at what point do you know to call aggressively? And so there's all these really neat and complex factors with elk hunting that make it super interactive, potentially some of the most action-packed hunting you can do, and also in some way the most uh, intimate encounter you could have with an animal where you're actually communicating with them right up until its last breath, mm. which is just such a unique experience. So that's, that's me trying to sum up elk hunting from a first timer i love it i i <laughs> really, really well said i i i use this the the description i use is like you you sort of like you pack in like this is if you're uh well i grew up still hunting for white-tailed deer so you get like creep creeping around and getting you know figuring out how animals wander around in the woods and figure out how you can sneak up on them so that's one piece of this hunt and then there's like this like almost like spot and stock element that that I learned from mule deer hunting, where you see them on the landscape and then you, you zone like then you figure out how you can get to that place by navigating you know up and around on the hills and and using the cover to get close to them. And then there's a third piece which I I learned how to call like uh, moose as a kid, and so that element of communicating with an animal and drawing them in and and how they feel comfortable coming into particular areas. Like there's, all animals are, um, well, a moose, a moose will respond to coming in much like an elk will respond in terms of how you're set up, in terms of the wind, how much cover you have, how comfortable they are walking through that landscape or that particular piece of habitat. So elk hunting combines all three things into one hunt and it's quite, quite exciting. And what's different about and I actually, I really enjoyed this part of the trip was talking to you about the perspective of bow hunting an elk and how it's, how it's different. Tell me a little bit about how bow hunting in the context of elk hunting. Well, I'm not gonna be able to say it as eloquently as my friend Spence over here said, but I was basically gonna say, <laughs> you put a paper bag over your head, go into your closet, turn all the lights off, and then someone throws you a Rubik's cube and you gotta try and figure it out. And it seems about, it's like that and it's like the same likelihood of you coming out with all the colors on one side but if you sometimes you get the red side and by some miracle the yellow pops in and <laughs> it works <laughs> but the the bow hunting side of things i mean i'm my brain doesn't really separate bow hunting with rifle hunting because i just am yeah, strictly a bow hunter but i think in scene so just for like broader context um in BC, we have like unbelievable hunting opportunity. Most people, when we think about like hunting, uh, perhaps like media or like hunting shows that we grew up watching, we were probably watching people in Montana or mm -hmm. Colorado, the Primos yep. brothers, or yep. you know these guys that would call these elk in, right? And for the most part, there's very few rut-based hunts in, in the lower 48 that you can do. When, when we think of elk hunting, yep. we think of archery elk hunting. And so that's what I think of 
um, when I think about archery elk hunting and I just think of the dynamic of, of primarily the best chance you probably have to kill an elk, a elk with a bow is with a collar shooter setup. So you have somebody primary calling, somebody primary setup. And so the difference between rifle hunting and, and bow hunting in the elk context is bow hunting, you primarily are trying almost always broadside or slightly coordinated away shots and rifle hunting. I think most of the time you would desire those shots as well. Sure. Um, however, there's like no real highly ethical shot that even if it's misplaced, it's going to drive an arrow through the shoulder of an elk. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So you have to be really con conscious of the shot that you're taking. So when you have a collar shooter setup, you're trying to basically call this elk almost because he's coming to the call looking and using his senses to figure out yeah. what's going on. You're almost calling the elk past the bow hunter so he can shoot the animal, stop it, broadside. But point being is it has to be very committed, has to be coming in and ideally inside 50 yards. Yeah. Whereas with a rifle, it doesn't necessarily have to happen as committed. It could hang up and an 80 or 100 or 150 yard shot an elk mm -hmm. would be very doable with a rifle. Although most of the forest conditions wouldn't even allow that type of shot. No, no, not where we were hunting. Um, the other element is just the movement. So when you're benched in on a rifle or you have a great rest, you have very little movement to maybe check with your binos, make sure it's a legal bull, mm -hmm. switch your safety off, make the shot. With a bow, you, have a, you actually have a physical, a pretty big physical movement where you're actually gonna reveal yourself to the animal or ideally, the elk is passing a tree or has its head down feeding and you can draw without getting seen but it's just another five seconds or ten seconds and another element of even though you're inside bow range even though you've hopefully done everything right or all the chips have fallen into place you still have to make this draw yeah and then the arc of the arrow too i mean it's like more of a of a specific thing but a basketball sized shooting lane with a rifle at yeah. Any distance is not really a hundred yards, right? It's not going to cause, or maybe a little bit bigger than a basketball. You can slide a bullet in there. Yeah. I think a basketball would, yeah, reasonably. Yeah. You could, you could out to 150 yards if that's what you have. Yeah. Whereas a bow, it has an arc on it and quite a high arc depending on high, how far you're shooting, but you're looking for shooting lanes that are not necessarily wider, but definitely taller. Yeah. And in the type of rush that we're hunting, I mean, I'm just looking around the forest right now. There's very few places that an arrow will be able to fly yeah through. there was a few poplar forests that we you know a few patches of poplar you might you know have a 50 yard shot with unobstructed but not very many yeah yep. so tough but also i mean i think if we could it's not as if we didn't have a problem calling bulls in that were active into into 100 yards um which I guess maybe we'll talk about. Well, yeah. Okay. So, well, okay. Just before, one, one of the things that I appreciated from this trip and hanging out with you and, and the difference between sort of the bow hunting perspective and, and the rifle hunting perspective is like, the thing about like, like you can get away with being a bit of a sloppier elk hunter if you shoot hunt with a rifle in the sense that like, you don't necessarily need to get them in to, to come right into you. You just need to come into a hundred yards to where you can see them and shoot them. And, and so like, if you're, what I appreciated from our conversations and some deeper thoughts on, on calling techniques and stuff was that like, 
I could probably get him into 100 yards with a hoochie mama and a power bugle, but if I really want that elk to commit to come in like closer, I probably have to step up my calling game a bit. So I feel kind of inspired to like really start to, to learn a bit more about elk calling over and above my very, I have a very like uh, consistent practical approach to calling elk. Um, but even just, just even hearing Spencer after just you know, one season of practice and the quality of bugles he's producing with the current sort of technologies that's I'll say that's are available for developing your elk calling and and those reeds that you're, you guys are using they're much more uh anyways I'm kind of ex- I I appreciate that it's a skill that I can develop which, which is cool <laughs> and I'm kind of excited about that cause it, but as a rifle hunter we've been pretty successful with just being very consistent and being more focused on our setup and 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 the piece of habitat that we're hunting and it's really produced well but i think i could try to add an element of like this much more close proximity hunting where maybe you're hunting thicker woods but you're calling animals in closer but then you're having to use uh, maybe more um, effective calling techniques so i'm excited to learn that stuff anyways well and you killed more elk than all of us times about a million so i think whatever you're working is Whatever you're doing is working. If it ain't broke, you don't have to fix it. No, it's just so. enhancing it. It's just like, <laughs> take, it, take it to another level, right? Because like, we've been able to get away with it by being, you know, I would say not yeah, just simple elk callers using our setup. But it's proving also to be like, like, you know, for my, I, I haven't killed an elk for, I've killed one elk in the last five years. And, and I think I killed an elk every year for a really long time or close to it. Um, and uh, so it's just that it's actually getting harder to hunt elk because of the hunting pressure right. and other things that are that are happening around here. And also just my, I'm not as, I'm going on these adventure hunts and not necessarily coming back and hunting the same old places that I think are going to be much more productive in. So it comes back to that sort of story that we think we probably talked about it yesterday, just about, about or when we were last on here, just the adventure versus the uh, sort of fill in their freezer hunt and. I keep sort of leaning towards the adventure hunts. Well, and I think on just on the calling thing, with with any tactic, piece of gear, area that you hunt, people that you hunt with, with any of that, that's sort of up for debate. I think if it gives you confidence, you will hunt better. If you have confidence yeah. in your calling that this is the right, this is a real bugle, and you're waiting and you're deciding whether or not to call it quits, you you have more confidence. You make a great call. It, it gives you confidence. Does it actually make a difference scientifically on the elk? Perhaps it does, but hunting with confidence is you hunt better when you're more confident. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I have a, 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 I think about that when I'm whitetail hunting. Like I have to feel like if I don't expect to see a whitetail bedded down at the base of the next tree and have that, like I absolutely feel that if I just keep on doing this, I will find a whitetail um, in this forest. And there's times when I just, I'm not hunting with confidence and hunting is, it just doesn't work. It just, it just doesn't, it never works. But I have to actually feel and approach every step with confidence. And, and it's like that, it's like that with elk hunting too, for sure. Like, yeah. I think of bow hunting sometimes like a golden retriever that is so optimistic that a piece of food is going to fall off the table every <laughs> single time. Every single time you wake up bow hunting. Yeah. This is the day. This is going to be great. I'm great at this. This is awesome. This is definitely happening. And then you get completely torn apart and nothing goes your way. And then you wake up the next morning. Yeah, this is going to happen today. I think this is, I think this is the day. Love it.
I love it. Yeah, totally. No, it's hundred percent. Okay. 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 So let's get back to the actual point of this conversation here. So we put in two more days of elk hunting. We finally that kind of turned on around here. Like as, as Spencer alluded to the, um, temperature dropped a little bit. And I think these elk are just tired of like, you know, waiting for the rut to come on. And, um, and they started running around the hillside a bit. So we went, we went back after these two six point elk that we had a, um, kind of split up our team here and I went after one and you guys went after the other one. Um, and we well, both had fantastic days of elk hunting. Um, want to fill us in just a little bit. We don't want to spend too much time talking about the actual hunting, but Spence, give us a little bit of a, of a synopsis of your, of your big day of elk hunting. Uh, Adam and I finally, uh, not Adam and I hiked into this, uh, this ridge in the mountain. And uh, as we started getting in there, we kept hearing the bugles, so we kept sort of chasing the bugles, let out a, a, um, a call here and there for, uh, you know, a lo- location bugle, some cow calls. And uh, sure enough, we get in this sweet valley where we know we have at least three bulls, like, sounding off, bugling at each other, bugling at us. <laughs> and... Uh, after, I don't know, 15 minutes maybe, um, we notice that one sounds like it's getting closer. And uh, we really start ripping the bugles and he starts coming in fast. And he's on almost the other side of this canyon uh, bugling at us. And that was so cool to see, to one come from quite high elevation cruise through this uh, like tough tough willow um and and stare us right down bugling at us trying to figure us out and uh and yeah all while these other ones were sounding off it ends up uh that adam do you think there were four in there that we were rocking there was yeah four different bulls and uh it, it ended up being a different one that came right up to us we had this sweet interaction <laughs> um, back and forth with him. He was a younger bull, so not as sly. And uh, had he been legal, it would have been a super easy shot, 30 yards or something. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty magical to finally get to experience that that aspect of the elk hunt where you're in in this valley communicating with multiple animals is really special and uh yeah i uh you know something i had never experienced but dreamed of experiencing and that was our day yeah pretty fun pretty fun when it comes together eh? totally makes you feel like a champ well like you know what you're doing yeah (laughs) (laughs) i remember looking at my i i remember the last thing i remember is like um that I remember, I remember like going from I was like, at, I looked at my watch at two thirty. I'm like, holy shit, it's two thirty. How did it <laughs> go from getting up at four thirty to two thirty in the afternoon? Like getting up at four thirty in the morning, and it's like, wow, that day just flew by. And uh, yeah, that was just like you just go. You as soon as you're on the hill, you're just like chasing bugles and elk are coming in, and 
then they're not big enough or they spook off and then you move on to the next bugle and then, then they go to the next bugle and some of them work out, some of them don't, but man, is it like, it's the so it's a little, it's a fun ride, eh? Like it's super fun. I just think about how, microphone mic drop there <laughs> i just think about how crazy it would be i mean just how the woods change for three four weeks a year yeah just even the other animals listening to these sounds and just ha being the first person to hear an elk bugle or it's almost it's like haunting like you're going through these forests with moss and and there's you can see your breath mm -hmm. and they're, the 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 woods are like rattling sometimes, like with with some how how close you are to some of those bugles. Oh man, yeah, totally. Must just piss the squirrels right off, eh? Yeah, they were not happy. Just like just plucking away. Yeah. <laughs> what were they? They just making what's what is that noise they make? Call like we go. Yeah. Uh, some kind of a, hey, here come these upright. <laughs> you're underneath my tree. You're gonna, you're gonna steal my pine cone. Okay, we gotta get some questions for you guys. So. Um, Spencer, what did you what did you learn on this trip? Would you say I mean, it might be a really easy question, but maybe yeah, take it for what it is. But what did you learn? I'm gonna ask you this question too, Adam. So, so I'm on the spot first. Yeah, unless Adam wants to bail you out, then you can gather your thoughts. <laughs> He's on the spot too. I'll go first, I, just from like a technical logistical perspective. Sure. The, or emotional, whichever. Well, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna dig into those first. But <laughs> the transition time and transition technique of this activity of pack rafting, which probably it's a little bit different the way that the work and the dinking around is structured. Like there's a lot of dinking around at first and carrying your stuff into the river first, and mm -hmm. then hopefully it's less and easier as you go because you use gravity to float out yeah if you have a heavy animal that's great and whereas most of the time hunting before you kill an animal is is somewhat strenuous but then all the work is coming especially in a big animal like, like an elk after so we were trying to front load it but going from these different stages of hiking your gear in blowing your rafts up putting your stuff in camping hunt mode back to raft mode to pack up and go to the takeout mode all those every time we did that I think one time we timed it and it ended up being over under a Two couple hours, hours yeah. breaking camp and getting it all into the rafts and getting all your gear on. And then you put the rafts in the water and you have to pump them up again and flow <laughs> a few hundred meters and then add more air. And so anyways, I just learned the Dylan had some awesome, very simplistic tactics that my brain is sort of glomming onto, which is just, separating out your gear which i kind of already do anyways but just the the big dry bag on the front of the pack raft with all your stuff in it and then your hunting pack that can grab your dry bags inside your raft and your raft just like boom boom two loads and i'm sitting there trying to figure out which ways what up. to put where yeah yeah it takes a while and many bags and different stuff sacks it's like <laughs> <laughs> no, big bags, big backpack drive bags. Little bags go into medium bags, they go into big bags exactly. and go in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that that practice and, and seeing how you did it and Spence too is just cool to see and just gets your reps of that 
mm-hmm. type of organization. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, for sure. That's and I, I felt like I had a breakthrough on this trip too. I felt pretty my gear was pretty good on this trip. Yeah, you're doubt. It was feeling pretty good. How about you, Spence? What did you, what what's sort of your learning from this trip, if, if any? Uh, uh, of course, there's the obvious that I learned a ton because I never pursued elk in this way before. It was yeah. all new. Yeah, for sure. So if you just accept that, there's yeah. all these things to learn. But I think this bigger piece that was interesting to me is that there's things that I just assume I know. And one of, when you're hunting, it's one of those obvious assumptions is, oh, weather is going to affect an animal. If it's stormy or whatever, they're going to hunker down. If it's hot, they're going to want to find shade. If, um, you know, it's just right, they might be moving around. But I don't think I've ever hit it. I don't think I've ever had that change hit me so hard, like a wall of sound, where you show up to a hillside and there's four elk bugling at just that wave of sound Mm -hmm. hits you. Yeah. And it's just such an interesting shift that I can't think of any other animal where it's like that off the top of my head. Um, I mean, I can think of, uh, I, I always heard my parents say, oh, okay, once it, just wait for it to get cold, the moose will start moving. And then like once they're moving, you can call them in. And it's a similar thing, but it's yeah. not like a wall of bugling that hits you. The other comparison that comes to mind is like sometimes salmon on the coast when we're waiting to harvest salmon. Yeah. They're, the elders are like, wait for that big rain and the big tide. And it just hits like a wall, like schools of salmon will just hit the river. Yeah. And you're waiting for that. And that's what this reminds me of. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, a, a neat reminder um, and learning experience here to, uh, to experience that once again. Because it's almost like you don't know until you feel it. One thing I'm still trying to wrap my brain around is just, as a society, how most hunters um, were following, in this case, we're following the provincial regulations of BC. Mm -hmm. And how funny it is to hunt based on this calendar like a Gregorian calendar Mm -hmm. when it defies so much logic and for so many thousands of years, humans just hunted when it made sense to hunt. (laughs) And in this experience, we came here to hunt elk. Yeah. But if we were living in a more logical state of mind or whatever, yeah. Uh, we'd say, let's do a mountain hunt because it's perfect mountain conditions. Let's go get a goat or a sheep. Yeah. But we're trying to get elk and we're trying to get a spe- specifically a six point elk. Yeah. And we have this many days to do it. Yeah. And I don't, it's hard for me to make sense of that. Yeah. We can't, like, there's a limited 10 day season. It's, you know, it's September 5th to the 15th. Uh, we can't call up the like the fish and wildlife guys and say, hey, it's really, really warm. Can we come up next week <laughs> <laughs> when the when it's, the rut's gonna be on when it's out of season? And and it is kind of a, it is a bit of a haywire thing, and <laughs> that we just like you know. And for a lot of elk hunters, I mean, there's the bow hunters and the Kootenays. You know, it's 35 degrees all you know to for the op- the opener and the Kootenays. I you know, at least it was at one one day it was quite quite warm, I think. And 
And those guys are going to have a heck of a time trying to, you know, find elk on those hills. So, yeah, it's not, yeah, the weather does have an impact if we don't have a lot of flexibility in terms of when we can go. And then plus these trips, like pulling the three of us together in our schedules, like, you know, you know, you can't, if you don't lock it in six months ahead of time, it's not going to happen either. So like you can't necessarily respond to the weather, but you're, there was a moment on our trip where we were looking at a goat on a side hill, yeah. trying to decide if we were going to transition <laughs> from an elk hunt to a goat hunt. Yeah. Which would have been sweet well, in itself too, but. I would have been great. I mean, I would have loved to have gone up the mountains with you guys. I mean, two kind of expert goat hunters in very, very different ways would have been really cool. <laughs> I would have loved that. I would have loved to have tried, yeah, tried to kill a goat with you guys. That would have been really neat. And, uh, but then there's the promise. And I know, like, as we just talked about, like, the promise of a good day of elk hunting is as good a day of hunting as you can ever have. And I think that's where we got to in this last. So, so just to be clear on, I don't know if I've even said it, but we didn't kill an elk. And we're going to go home without an elk, and it's, it's time to get on the road tomorrow morning. So no elk. But two spectacular days of elk hunting after a spectacular pack rafting adventure. Um, yeah. So I think just to give people the, the, not to hold people in suspense any longer, but. Um, what did you learn, Dylan? Uh, um, well, I learned that, like, Spencer's a pretty good elk bugler after, like, yeah. having never gone elk hunting before which me and uh, i really enjoyed actually i i mean i've already mentioned that i mean I, I we've had some great conversations on this hunt the three of us is that that was really fun i've enjoyed i've enjoyed that but um yeah just i've really enjoyed hearing your perspectives on bow hunting and how it's a little bit different than than my how i approach hunting with with rifle and um particularly just about the nuances of how to get animals a bit closer uh because you have to if you're bow hunting i enjoyed that and then, yeah, your, your calling sequences and your calling processes are uh, very different um, than, than I've come accustomed to, but I've seen it to be effective and really learned a lot. So I enjoyed that for sure. There's lots of fun stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I had, a great, I had another great hunt with Spence too and just great, great conversations. This was about as, um, I don't know if it's just like I really, I really feel like we didn't hunt very hard on this hunt, which is... I, I, I think I typically would approach most trips where I feel like I'm hunting from like the first bit of light to the last bit of light and just give her every day. And I think largely because like, like the weather just was so difficult for us to, it just really didn't matter if you're hunting or not. So we just didn't really, you know, necessarily get after it right first, right. Well, an hour before light kind of thing down the trail. I think we just kind of yeah had a very relaxed approach to this hunt and really just enjoyed the hang. And uh, that's really hard for me to do. And it was really easy. It's normally really hard for me to do. And it was really easy for me to do on this trip. Just kind of hang out and let things unfold and enjoy the company. And and uh, so maybe I learned how to be a little bit more relaxed on a hunt, which is doesn't come easy to me. I think it's worth mentioning, like in the spirit of eating wild, Dylan, that we did have one great meal, courtesy of Adam, <laughs> who <laughs> sacrificed an arrow, got two chickens, two grouse, yeah, one like a major Boone and Crockett, <laughs> I don't know, ten pounder, oh, yeah. <laughs> small game award, deadly. Um, and what was the meal that you fixed up with that? 
from start to finish. Oh, from start to finish. Okay, so so I I I'm working on my like back like not quite backpack like gourmet stuff, but like just like good uh, easy like camp meals that that are stable and don't have to be refrigerated that are kind of easy to break out. Should you like come home with a bit of meat or a, you know an elk heart or something like that. Um, so in, in, in failing to bring an elk heart home, um, yeah, Adam saved the day and brought us a couple of beauty grouse, trophy grouse. Um, and I made a, I had a package of rendang Indonesian curry and a package of powdered coconut milk. And I did sneak a little bit of fish sauce into my, into my, my camp kit and, um, yeah, and some shallots and, and then some lemongrass actually is quite stable. It can live in a camp box for a while when you're out. And fired that all into the pan and a bit of rice and fish sauce and it was good. Oh, and there's a couple of rotten apples that had to be cooked and <laughs> be eaten up. So cut, cut away the rot and threw them in there. That was pretty good. So the thing that I wanted, I really wanted to highlight. Oh, the liver. Was the rotten apples. Yeah. That just amazing for the curry yeah because i always I, i'm big on people using everything yeah and yeah. and like using what you have yeah and so we used these rotten or dylan pulled out these rotten apples and they weren't like rotten they'd just been beaten around in a blue bin <laughs> yeah. for like a week now and you know some soft bits some soft bits but yeah. you're cooking them down anyways yeah so that they they get a bit soft yeah and uh dylan started the sauce we chopped the liver of the gross up yeah. And so everyone who's listening that doesn't hasn't tried mm. gross liver, gross gizzard, or gross heart, and the legs, a lot of people haven't tried the legs either. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, it was, it's awesome. And uh, I've tried to tout this for years, trying to tell people, eat the liver, the gizzard, and the heart. Well, the, li- the, 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 the liver actually just, just kind of like, just chopped it up super fine and it almost just like mixed into the sauce and just kind of gave the sauce the depth of flavor. It was really nice. And then, yeah, just for the light fry on the rest of the meat and gizzards and heart and everything into the curry. And it was just like, all oh, the bites were really good. Oh, Delicious. Yeah. The legs are like, the legs are chewy for sure. Like if you just poach them, like, like if you just give them a fry and then, and then stew them for, you know, five, 10 minutes in the curry. Um, but you just, you just gnaw them for a bit and they're pretty good. Yeah. But the, the the breast was amazing. Yeah. Trophy meal with a trophy bird. Trophy meal, trophy bird. Okay, what's uh, Adam? What are you doing next? What's what's your next adventure? Oh well, it's always good to plan a great adventure right on the heels of another one. Not give too much time to let the <laughs> moss grow on the Rolling Stone. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna meet my wife Frankie, who's been on lots of mountain hunts with me mm-hmm. and and uh over the many years that we've been together as a as part of the team and as an observer and taking photos and having a good time but never as the one who's been the hunter so we've got a little bit of time and we're gonna go into the mountains for ourselves and she'll be hunting primarily looking for sheep she's um yeah she's she's been on lots of sheep and goat and cool hunts all over the world actually and uh she's kind of like well let's go into the mountains and see what i can do so it'll be really fun i mean 
Dylan sort of asking me, oh, are you gonna burn? Are you gonna burn out? Are you gonna be able to do this? And I, I kind of like get energy more as like the season goes on, mm-hmm. and just and just sort of like each hunt, it, it's it's super cool too because I get to go from sharing a unique experience with great buddies, and then I get to go on the next trip, and I often will tell on this particular trip, I'll tell Frankie like. I'll talk all about the trip, and I'll actually get to share yeah, it and think nice. about it, and she'll get to hear it, and I'll get to hear what's been going on in her life, and so that's re- really, really cool. And I, I feel like you're at in such a great mind space too, where you're actually like engaging with people and and just just soaking in the moments, and so then you go to the next hunt, and you're kind of like already in that like hunt mode, mm-hmm. whereas sometimes for me, getting out of just like town regular life mode into hunt mode or just maybe not even to hunt mode into mm-hmm. into backcountry mode into unplugged mode and it's it's nice to kind of be in that state and i know we're going to go back and have 48 hours of scrambling around but then we'll be back into it so mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna hunt with her and uh and then i'm gonna hunt with another probably top two favorite <laughs> people in my life is my brother cam i'm gonna hunt with him and we're gonna be looking for a mountain goat so couple couple week hunts both of them probably 10 or 12 days back to back and round out the season yeah sounds amazing Rela- maybe it's a cool country relaxing campfire comfortable chair time is over <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. yeah, yeah. it's fun while it lasted <laughs> yeah totally right on right on no I, i'm excited just to hear about your adventures coming up you may have to do another check on the podcast that'd be great it could get you on here once a year just to tell us all about your adventures around the world it's been, <laughs> it's been fun man good hearing about it how about you spence what's uh what's the next adventure for you i got uh four to six months to try to finish writing my phd thesis <laughs> and while doing that i think i'll try to be a weekend warrior yeah where i'm based out of um really try to work the small game circuit with my new pup that goes get you inspired did the grouse inspire you oh yeah i i love it like i i'm gonna be searching for that that booner grouse by my cabin that booner rabbit um yeah so try to get my new pup into hunting gun trained and see if i can make it out for a couple hunts as a weekend warrior well uh, trying to finish up this chapter of my life yeah with well, my thesis research well i can't wait to, to call you yeah dr spencer you know on the podcast and uh <laughs> really like elevate the credibility of my podcast <laughs> yeah right on spence okay last question for you both um if planning another pack rafting adventure First off, would you want to do another packrafting expedition uh, that revolves around hunting? And what species would you be most interested in tying it the next adventure to? This is an excellent question. <laughs> I, I am going to say yes, and I I think I think elk is a great animal to packraft hunt because. It's a bigger animal and they live just generally, very generally in sort of lower and medium parts of the mountain. Yeah. I think an animal like a sheep or a goat, I think a packraft is a cool access tool, but um, 
yeah, I think that you can backpack them with a person or two, and it's it's a great backpack hunt. Yeah. Whereas a, a, a pack raft lets you get far into country, maybe less hunting pressure, maybe better hunting, who knows. But when you have 250 pounds of elk meat on a, on a raft or two, it's they're like custom made to, to do that job. Yeah, yeah, they can take that load and feel pretty comfortable and for sure. And I'm also highly competitive and the elk, the score on the elk was like, I, I don't know, they're up like seven touchdowns or, or <laughs> was it for whatever, 49 nothing. Yeah, <laughs> whatever I, I think I asked, maybe on the podcast or, or I don't on know the fire. Was maybe it was unplugged. Yeah, it was unplugged. I'm yeah. like, are we down 49 nothing? And John Madden's trying to just keep everybody engaged in the game. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, said, yeah. No, I think we got, we're down two touchdowns. We're down two touchdowns. Yeah. So yeah. anything could happen, but yeah. they ran up the score on us big time, bad. <laughs> And, so this uh, quarter we're down, but the next quarter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be fun to do to take a crack at an elk pack raft trip because I think they are great animal to hunt via pack raft for the reasons I described, and also, oh, like they got us. So, <laughs> like to try to. So yeah, it's competitive with the animal because even though they're way more equipped to outsmart you every single time. Yeah, yeah. When you do get them outsmarted once out of a hundred or thousand times it feels pretty good yeah yeah for sure no i i'm kind of with you on that okay i'll go i'll go i'll go to spence spence uh you really uh you're very convincing with that (laughs) adam i think elk is like the perfect animal (laughs) because just the there's a difference in our our two adventures so far dylan of the ram yeah the sheep hunt yeah and then this it's almost like... Well, and there was also our blacktail hunt. Our one dare. Did we use the pack raft? No, I just thought you meant on our adventures oh, together. <laughs> no. Um, uh, where it was kind of like we used the pack rafts to get to this point and then it becomes a mountain hunt. Yeah. Where this is like we're actually exploring with the pack rafts more. We mm-hmm. could have explored looking mm-hmm. for sheep country with the pack rafts, but it's, it's, it, it's just different. It feels like the pack raft becomes more essential in some ways. Um, so, yeah, that's a great point, Adam. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like we need to do a back country pack raft elk adventure successfully. That has to happen. I'm also eager to like, uh, maybe it'll just be on my own. I don't know, but to nail some sea ducks in the pack raft. Hmm, that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. I've been daydreaming about that for a while. Yeah, you could set set your set a pack raft as a bit of a blind somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really cool. And since this podcast is set in 2020, maybe we'll do it in 2022 in the future. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I get I get the benefit. We'll do it. I think I think it's three times in this podcast. I keep saying. I'll pack out to get finished in 2020. I don't know. I can't get over it. Anyway, it's 2022. <laughs> it's firmly in 2022, and hopefully you guys will forgive me for that for my lapse and knowing what year it is after. Yeah. What do you? I went off work for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you do then? Oh shit! Well, the hunt we were talking about got me all excited. Um, that's elk concept that's in in the works right now. Um, but uh, I think I, I, I kind of want to leverage the pack rafts to do a moose hunt. 
and I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to do it and, and if we even can afford it because I, th I think the way I want to do it, it would be uh, kind of a fly-in, fly-out. And, and I've always thought you shouldn't fly out moose meat it just as a, as a rule, you know. It's a pretty big animal to be burning up dollars in gas, jet fuel to fly them out of the woods. And But there's some neat country and maybe a neat way of doing it with the pack rafts and kind of thinking about that a little bit. But yeah, I think if um, replicating one of these rivers in, in the Northern Rockies where we can find a few elk on it and yeah, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't be a tough sell at all. So so yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm already thinking about it for next year and dreaming up the next adventure. So I'll, um, yeah, we should chat more about it in the, once we wrap up this hunting season. So that pretty much means like December 1st, I start, you know, committing to my next year's plans. You're a little bit later, eh? You probably don't wrap up your hunting season for a bit. No. Uh, Frankie says, how does hunting season last a week or two longer every single year? <laughs> <laughs> and start a week or two early every year. Uh, yeah. There, you can, I mean, if you know where to find it, you can hunt. Yeah, you can hunt clean into February. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, heading south for those who's deer hunts another great thought okay we'll wrap this podcast up anyways i really uh, i want to thank first well i want to thank the northern rockies for just providing another fucking amazing adventure we're so we're so fortunate to be able to go on these adventures and see these places and experience them and uh and do it in true wilderness i, I just uh i feel so fortunate to for for the life we live in bc and super fortunate hanging out with you guys what a, what a great hang thank you so much yeah, thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Cool. We'll wrap this up, and um, yeah, and thanks for putting up with the podcast machine, boys. Signing off. Till next time. Hey, folks. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so drop us a question either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. They're tons of fun come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild. Well.